We are uh, about three-quarters of the way through a series I wanted to talk to our church about this fall of The Walk, called The Walk. We, as followers of Jesus, are called to a walk. And there's five things that we really, I think, need to have in our lives that are uh, active and growing to help us in that walk. And today I want to talk with you about worship. Let me remind you where we've been, though. We started with the idea of engaging with God's Word, because if we can't hear from God, and we don't know what God has for us, and His Word tells us and reveals to us what He has for us. Then we talked about prayer, that conversation to God, that ongoing conversation that we have, I think, every moment of the day. We're supposed to pray without ceasing. Uh, that means there's not a time we're not supposed to be praying. And then last week we talked about stewarding our lives, because though while we can't control the, the circumstances around us, we do have a responsibility, don't we, to, to, to control our lives, to do what we can do correctly in those moments in, in a way that would honor God. When I was growing up, um, I was, uh, uh, we went to uh, First Baptist. So I'm a product of First Baptist, uh, but not New Boston, Man, First Baptist in Mansfield. And, and I was a, stu- a, a child of the, I was born in the 60s, but really I was a child of the 70s because I, I, I'll be honest, I don't remember the first four years of my life. But who does, right? Because it's just way, way back there. But, but as a kid in the 70s, I remember at First Baptist Mansfield, we uh, were a very um, traditional church. Uh, the pastor preached from the King James. There's no way we would ever use a new international version. That's just weird. We sang from the 1956 hymnal, Herald, because this 1975 hymnal was liberal. Okay, I didn't know hymnals could be liberal, but I grew up being told that, so it must have been true, right? And we were very, very rigid and formal in our worship. We had choir with robes, we had organ, we had piano, and Lord, we never had someone over at the drum banging around at all. Sick of bears. And, um, but as I grew up, I, you know, I moved away from home and went to other churches and other places and got to see other things and experience different uh, worship experiences. And along the way, I ended up pastoring a church that had had two worship services. And you're going, that sounds like fun. It is. I felt like I preached for 14 years and seven, but it's okay because I did it twice every Sunday, you know, and that was great. But but here's the thing is those two services were completely different music-wise. The preacher was the same, same old boring guy y'all listen to, but but the music was different. The one service was very traditional, choir, organ, the other service, the lights were often dimmed, you know, because Jesus is easier to worship in the dark, I guess. And we had a full band, and we had a worship team, and we sang from the screen with the words of the new songs, as some of you have probably heard them called, the 7-Eleven songs. You go, I don't know why they do those. They just read over and over and over. Do they not know what it says? It's just not smart enough to figure that out. What's going on, you know? But here's the thing about pastoring the church with two different services. It was really like pastoring two different churches. And in that experience, I, I grew up, remember, I grew up in a very traditional setting. And I heard how that's the right way to worship. And then I went to a, a church where we had two different styles. And you know what was really odd about that is people in both services thought they worshiped correctly because Jesus loves the worship choruses and he hates hymns. So they thought. And the other side said, Jesus loves hymns, and he spoke King James English. 
and doesn't like that other stuff. But I want to share with you this morning a little bit about my journey as we talk about the woman at the well's journey. Because one of the things I've discovered about worship is there's something way more important than the externals. I want to talk to you about this passage where Jesus' speech teaches on worship. And you're probably thinking, Samaritan woman at the well, he didn't talk about worship. Oh, yeah, it's the, it's the crux of the story with her as he shared with her this story. If you remember the story, don't you? The woman at the well, she was a Samaritan. She'd been married how many times? Five times. And she was what? Shacked up with another. Y'all with me? The scripture didn't say shacked up. It just says she was living with a man who was not her husband. Okay, same thing. Her life was so messed up, in fact, she couldn't go to the well at the normal time that women went to the well because the women would be women and talk about her behind her back as she's there. So she would go in the middle of the day when it was really hot, but nobody was there. I want to pick up the story. We're not going to do the whole story this morning because the focus is in the middle part of it, but we're going to pick up in verse 16. So as I read the scripture, listen along to this story. Jesus said to her, this is the woman at the well, go call your husband, come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to Jesus, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, what we're going to do this morning in the outline is we're going to build a sentence. My mother and I would uh, um, debate and discuss sentence structure and what a noun and a pronoun and an adverb were. Don't ask me to define them to this day because I can't do it. Uh, I could never diagram a sentence, you know, that sentence tree thing where they start drawing weird lines like a math program. I'm going, what in the world was that all about? But I want to build a sentence with you this morning I think is a good definition of worship, especially worship that is with abandon. So let's begin with verse 19. While everyone suspects that, that there, is, there is more, look at the verse again with me. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, we, we know a little bit about this woman, don't we? We know she was kind of an outcast in society. She didn't go to the well at the normal times. She had done something that was, you know, uh, let me tell you, in this day, five husbands is unusual, right? And to have a sixth is really, I mean, that's just not common in our day. It was really unusual in her day. So in a sense, what has happened is this woman has been caught red-handed at the well. She really expected to be there by herself. And instead, Jesus is there. And at this point, she has no idea who Jesus is. She doesn't know what he can do in her life. But she's going to discover he reveals to her a new way to worship. I suspect at most Jesus was an oddity to her. Why was this man obviously a Jew 
when she was a Samaritan at a well in the middle of the day. What was he doing here? They don't travel through our part of the world because this is an unclean part of the world to them. They don't come here. Why is he here? Yet Jesus engages her in conversation for a moment, and it, it gets a little uncomfortable. And you know, you and I probably don't understand the tenor of the moment in our day because we, we really are, uh, rightfully so, much more tolerant than the Jews of the Old Testament we, we would, will often look at a person and go, man, I don't agree with their lifestyle. I don't agree with the way they live. But we would probably not treat them poorly, at least openly, right? In that day, th- there were no limits to that. Uh, this woman was a Samaritan, meaning she was not part of the people of God. Her heritage, her background was a people who had been intermingled through uh, intermarriage over the centuries because of the people of God's rebellion, they had been spread around the world and other people had been brought into the northern part of what is today Israel. And her people had consisted of, a, of tribes that had said, we don't want to worship in Jerusalem. We want to have our own thing. And they got pagan real quick. That's her background. They strayed from the laws of God. They're not a people of the book. They're not followers of the God of the Bible. But listen, that doesn't mean they didn't believe there could be more. They're just not there yet. That's why she says, sir, I perceive... You are more. You are something. You are someone. You are a what? A prophet. So she grasped that he was more than just a traveler wanting a drink of water. He had some deep insights. And what she reveals is a belief that is that there's much more to this world, listen, than just living and dying. She goes, there's more out there than what I'm experiencing. There's got to be more to having husband after husband after husband after husband leave me or die on me. One of the two, we don't know. There's got to be more than just shacking up with this guy because I don't have anything else better in life. He looks into her life and sees her pain and her failures. And deep in her heart, she goes, there's got to be more. And while she never heard Jesus say these words, most likely, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. In her heart, she knew that this was true. She knew that Jesus was the prophet and he has more. But isn't that the way we are, really? We really think there's more to life, isn't there, than just what we've got? How can you imagine getting up in the morning thinking, well, there's nothing else in life, I'm done. That would be sad, wouldn't it? Yet there's more. And when we stop to think about life, we realize there's more than just the days we have. You know, I, I talk to a lot of our, a lot of older adults, and they 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 have a, a common refrain. You may have said this yourself. They go, "I don't know why God hadn't taken me home yet," because God has more for you, right? He's not done with you yet. He's got something. And, and as we were created to worship, there's something in us that knows there's something more to life. So while everyone suspects there is more, number two, everyone has worship preferences. Having grown up in the 70s and especially in the 80s, the worship wars, the debates and the battles in churches over, I can't believe they're putting a screen in our auditorium. We're not going to sing from the hymn book anymore. Jesus must be upset with us. So now we spend thousands of dollars to have video equipment in an auditorium so we don't have to hold a book in our hands. What's it matter in the end? But here we are. Everyone has worship preferences. So as she continues her observation, she takes note of the differences between different people. Look at verse 20. Our fathers worshiped where? On this mountain. 
Now, where is she? She's in northern Israel at the place where Shiloh was probably at or one of the other worship sites that the northern kingdom used. But you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Do you see the distinction here? There's a, there's a line she's drawing. There's a preference here. There's a preference in location. She's not talking about style of worship. She's not talking about style of music. She's not talking about the tr- translation of the Hebrew that they're reading. She's talking about the location. These differences divided them. And what she reveals is the commonly held preference in worship among all of us. You might say, well, we don't have that anymore. We know we worship God in our hearts and we worship when we gather in a worship service. Yes, and I would agree with you. But we still define our worship preferences in other ways. Some say, well, the right music is this music and you can put whatever you want in the blank there. Others say, well, if you don't read from this Bible translation, it's not right. Others say, well, if you don't wear these particular clothes, women have to wear nice conservative dresses. Men have to wear a suit and a tie. Or you have to wear shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops. I don't know. But we have these preferences, don't we? So others will focus on the time, the place. And these are just in the realm of Christian experience. Remember, all of humanity was created for one primary purpose. Do you know what it is? To worship. We were created by God to worship God. That's what Adam and Eve's one of their primary jobs were, if it will. But we worship in so many other ways. Some worship at athletic events. Yesterday, hundreds of thousands of people gathered in big worship centers to watch football. Right? Some of you did it from your TV at home. Some of you are doing the worship from TV at home. Same thing, right? We're watching it. Others let their career path become the focus of their life, the worship of their life. Others, their lifestyle becomes their focus, their worship. What she does here is reveal plainly a, a human tendency to define acceptable worship, listen, from our own personal narrow viewpoint, denigrating anybody else's as inferior. We want to say how we do it is correct. That's what we do. To make what we do the most important thing instead of allowing God to be at the center of the worship. By the way, this is the very definition of a worship preference because we make what appeals to us as the primary motivation for acceptable worship. We turn away from the proper focus, seeking on what our hearts want instead of something better. The prophet Isaiah said this, Jesus later quoted, this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are where? Far from me. What our woman at the well revealed is this, it is much easier to engage in what I call comfortable worship than to actually encounter God. It is easier to come and sing a few songs, listen to a prayer, give a few dollars, listen to a preacher, and go on than to actually engage in worship. In her attempt to justify her way of worship, she shows the truth that we so often miss the heart of God. And we tend to demand, listen, what we want instead of what God wants. So everyone suspects there's more. Everyone has worship preferences. What does Jesus do? Jesus is amazing. Did y'all know that? He invites us, he invites her to a higher plane. And what do I mean by that? He's not talking about Southwest Airlines. 
He's talking about a higher place. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, listen, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, the woman of the well had a, a clearly and rightly observed a difference between the place. She goes, well, this is where our people worship. This, that's where your people worship. And we're different. We've got a difference. And what Jesus does is take a different approach. And he reveals to her, listen, that both the Samaritan and the Jews are got it wrong. Wow. Wait a second. This would have been a shock to her. You know why? Because every time a Jewish individual strayed into their part of the world, they would run from them and say, unclean, unclean, and stay away from them. No, you can't be near me. No, no, no. They looked down on them. They obviously thought theirs was the right way and ours is the wrong way. But now Jesus is saying, hey, they're both wrong. What? He tells her plainly, there's coming a day when neither worship on her mountain or in Jerusalem, which is another mountain, by the way, would be correct or proper alone. And by saying this, his call is to be ready to worship God on a higher plane, to rise up to the place of the Father, and to intimately experience his grace, to intimately experience his forgiveness, to experience his mercy, regardless of what's going on around you. And what Jesus is talking about is a time when the heart of the worshiper would focus, listen, not on the externals, not on the externals, but on the audience of one. God himself. Salvation is coming from the Jews. Why did Jesus say that? Jesus goes, I'm right here. I'm salvation. He's a person. He's also salvation. He says, that's how salvation is coming. But he wants them to understand it is not about the place. It is not about the methodology. It is not about the externals. It's about something much bigger, much greater to rise up to a higher plane to experience the higher experience of being found in the presence of holy God. And his thought is along the line of the way humans worship without the presence of God is nothing like what happens when God is in the middle of it. See, the words of the prophet Joel speaks into this reality. He says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. This higher plane is found and experienced as God is placed at the center of worship. Let me just say this real clear. Worship is less about what we do and more about the one on whom we focus. But often we allow it to become more important what we do. And God's not even in the place. Everyone suspects there's more. Everyone has worship preferences. Jesus invites us to a higher plane and Jesus calls us, get this, to intelligent, heartfelt worship. One of the things I've observed over the years in these different worship styles that everyone thinks is right, some, one general group, focuses more on the thinking, the thoughts. The other focuses more on the heart, 
And Jesus says, you need both. Look at the scripture. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must what worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus doesn't ignore the differences, okay? He says, yeah, we got a difference. You worship there, the Jews worship here, but there's coming a better day, coming a bigger day, a higher place, a better place. He said, I want you to catch this, but he informs her things are about to change for all of the primary focus of worship would be what? Spirit and truth. His intent here, he wants this woman to understand, and I think he wants us to grasp it as well, that we would have what I call intelligent, heartfelt worship. Jesus makes it plain. Worship, true worship, engages the spirit and engages the mind together. In other words, worship done right engages both. It's not an either or, but a both and. We need to worship with a mind that's thinking clearly, that is focused on the truth, that is trying to understand the deep things of God. But we also need to have a heart that emotion is just able to flow through. We don't sit like robots. Some of you go, well, I can't do that. I'm not comfortable with that. I've seen some of you at football games. I've heard some of you tell me, you yelled at the TV yesterday. You know, they can't hear you. I don't know if you've ever heard of John Piper or not, but in his book, Desiring God, he wrote about this dichotomy of the two, of spirit and truth. And he said this, truth, truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought or deep thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. What he's saying is, listen, we don't have to choose between being thinkers who focus on the, the mind to the detriment of the heart and the emotion. And we don't have to let our emotions run wild to the point we don't have any thought in our head. We need to have both. There's a story told of an old preacher. I don't know if it's true or not. I've heard this story. He says, I, he said, I often wish we wouldn't sing or have music, but that I could simply see and say the words or the lyrics that express biblical truth. I don't like being distracted by the emotions that rise up in me when we sing to musical accompaniment. Oh, my brother, you've missed it. The music as we sing should stir our hearts. We should have an outpouring of emotion. We're worshiping not a choir, not a music guy, not a screen that's broken on one side and the other one working. We're worshiping who? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we go, oh, Jesus, we thank you so much. You're amazing. What is wrong with us? 
Oh, they're going to judge me. Well, that's their problem. Either extreme finds us out of balance. If we lean too far to one side and the other is, is, is quenched, we miss it. If we move to the other side and we push away the other, we, we miss the balance. Jesus says we need what? Both worship in spirit or truth. He doesn't give a choice. He says this is both. We need to do both. Worship is indeed an essential spiritual discipline we dare not forsake. I hear people say, well, I don't have to come together with God's people to worship. I want to tell you, I've, as we've gone through this last two years of joy, and I've watched people make their way back to worship for the first time, you can see on their face how good it is. Can, can you listen to the preacher online? I hear them. You hear what they you know, just said? I can do it here at home just as easy as I can do it at church. And you know what? They're partially right. If you're just looking for information, you can get it online. You can get it better online than you get here, I promise, okay? But if you want fellowship, you want connection, you want people gathered together who can wave at you because we don't shake hands still or whatever, you can't get that online. It's amazing to me. I'll I'll be out in our, our town and I'll see people who worship online with us. And I'm, I'm not picking on those online. I want you to know, please keep tuning in, keep sending your cards and letters, and we'll send you a handkerchief after we've prayed over it. I don't know. Anyway, but listen, if you can go to Walmart, if you can get your hair cut, if you can go to the ballpark and watch the kids play, we need you here. We want you here. And more importantly, you should want to be with God's people. I know when I miss a Sunday because we're out of town or with something with family, I try to go to another service. You know, it's just not the same. When we come in God's people, my people, our people, right? We're together. We need the spiritual discipline of being together, of worshiping together in spirit and in what? Truth. We need to do both. We need to cut loose. And, you know, it's okay to raise your hand occasionally. Did you know that? I think you can do it all the time because you're trying to show off and miss the point. But God is moving in our hearts. We should be able to roast. You ever, you ever shed a tear in worship? Because it just touched your heart. You're going, oh, he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. We're talking about the most important relationship we have in life. Our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Hebrews challenged Believers this way, the writer did. He said this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need our minds engaged. We need our hearts engaged. We need to be in God's presence on a regular basis. Three quick thoughts, and I'll be done early today. Amen. Number one. I'm going to challenge you. Don't let your worship preferences limit your experience with God. You go, well, it's got to be this way. I told you all I grew up in a very traditional church, 1956 hymnal, King James Version, choir, service 11 to 1230 because our preacher went long. And I didn't think we could worship any other way. 
First time I went into a service where people were doing that and there was a drum, I said, oh my gosh, I've walked into a bar or something. What are they doing? And I judged them. And I began to, but I began to understand as I experienced other places, the preference of my, my preference is not as important as who I'm there to worship. One of my most amazing worship experiences when it was in a town in central Mexico called San Miguel de Allende. And we went to worship at a church that had a lot of expats, which are Americans living or, or Europeans living overseas. But the service, listen, was in Spanish. And y'all think, well, he speaks Spanish. No, señor, me no español. Okay? That's about it. All right? But I experienced God in that place. I don't want to do it every Sunday because I don't speak Spanish. But God was at that place. We need to be open to whatever God places in front of us. Some of you walk in and they go, oh, look at the song they got picked. Can you believe Harold picked that? I've never heard that song in my life. I've heard that. Did you know that? Yeah. They go, has he lost his mind or what? Nobody sings that song. How about read the words along with him? See what it says to your heart and your spirit. And don't judge it as being something you're not comfortable with. Some of our favorite songs are songs we used to not know. Did you know that? Yeah. It's not about the externals. It's about your heart and my heart being in tune with God. Second, seek to worship God with your heart and your mind. They're both part of you. Don't ignore the mind. Don't ignore the heart. We need both. And listen, if you're here today and you don't know God, you go, I don't know how to worship. Well, you're created to worship, so you're going to worship something. The question is, is what's it going to take for you to worship God? I believe the scriptures are very plain here, my friends. You're able to worship God when you know him and you're in a relationship with him. And then it grows and develops from there. So we're going to offer invitation for you. Maybe you need to respond to God. Maybe you've been judging other people the way they worship. Maybe God needs to forgive you for that. Maybe you need to say, I've been holding back. I need to let go and let God worship, let the worship flow through me to God. What's God speaking to you about in this area? Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the blessing of being in this place. God, it's so easy to take all of this for granted. To think it has to be the way we've always done it or the way we have to do it or the way we want to do it even. God, it's not about our preference. It's about our heart being in tune with you. Someone once said, worship begins at home. And they meant by that is our hearts have to be in tune with God. So when we gather together with others, we're ready. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a church that worship you, worships you in spirit and in truth. And we don't let the externals, we don't let who the singer is, we don't let who the worship people are, we don't let who the preacher is, we don't let who the players or the instruments are, we don't care whether the screens are not right or if the book is upside down. We're going to worship you with spirit and truth. God, you tell us as you're lifted up in worship, as you're lifted up, you're going to draw people to yourself. God, help us to be that church for this community, for this area, for this people. In your name we pray.